1: Welcome to So Money.
0: Hey, welcome back to Ask Farnoosh, everyone. It is Sunday, February 15th, my birthday. Happy birthday to me. I'm officially no longer in my early 30s. Wah, wah. But I'm looking forward to the next five years, uh, especially kicking off this podcast with everybody. And uh, I'm also excited today because my brother is back, back from Phoenix, back from the West Coast as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, he has been he's back from the Super Bowl and I'm excited to have him here. Hi Todd.
1: Hey Farnoosh, glad to be back.
0: Yeah, I mean so tell me, I mean we're all curious, how was it? What was the biggest shocker of being at the Super Bowl? Like I mean, the whole thing is quite an event, but there's kind of like one cool story you can share.
1: Uh well I was sitting next to a bunch of Seahawks fans and I'm a Patriots fan myself, so that was a little bit embarrassing, but they were actually really nice to me, and they were really surprised that I came alone. And uh, I sparked a few conversations with them, and it was, it was really fun meeting them. I think, you know, the game was really back and forth. So a lot of times uh, when they would cheer, I would just sit down moping. And uh, <laughs> Awkward! Yeah, it was, it was a little awkward, but the ending, as most of you know, uh, turned out very good for me. And uh, everyone left, and I was probably the last one to leave the stadium, so I was excited.
0: You had a little bit of a, an issue getting into the stadium. You had bought your ticket from a third-party dealer, and there, it was almost like there was a little bit of a conflict towards the end of that. What happened?
1: So there's a lot of third-party uh, companies that were uh, undersupplying their tickets, so they would claim that they have tickets, but uh, they realized that you know they couldn't fulfill all of the orders in time for the Super Bowl, so... They would offer people who bought the tickets some deals. They offered me a bunch of money to basically walk away, but I said no. <laughs> wow! And uh, um, they gave me a, they gave me a, another seat. It was a little cheaper, so I ended up going. But it was it was kind of stressful.
0: So they gave you money back, and the seat was okay.
1: Yeah, they gave me a, a certain amount of money back, and they gave me a seat a little bit further away. But it was still fun.
0: Now, I question companies like that that are literally selling you tickets that they don't have yet. It's a little unethical, but that's another podcast. <laughs> Let's get to our questions, and thank you, everyone, for submitting your questions, and uh, I-, I love that you're you know, listening to the directions. You're going to somoneypodcast.com, clicking on Ask Farnoosh, and sending in your question. What's, uh, what's first up, Todd?
1: Okay, first question is from Kyle. He says, hey, Farnoosh, I've been listening to your podcast. and Enjoy it as I'm learning new things. In one of them, you talked about compound interest. I'm a recent graduate with about 200000 in student loans, and I've recently saved about $10,000 from my last job. And I'd like to know which accounts should be good for me to put all that money aside to. I have a Roth IRA, which I contribute to monthly.
0: Well, Kyle, a Roth IRA is a great start. You know, I'm a big fan of the Roth IRA. Uh, It's uh, basically a retirement account, different from the individual retirement account in terms of the tax benefits. So with the Roth IRA, you get to invest up to about $5,500 a year. And then when you're 59 and a half, you can withdraw that money penalty-free and tax-free, which is great if you anticipate your taxes going up in your older years, which for many of us is probably true. A Roth IRA is great, and if uh, you can take advantage of a Roth right now because you're not making too much money, remember, you sort of phase out of being able to invest in a Roth after a certain income level, but it sounds like, you know, you're not there yet, which is great because you can take advantage of the Roth in the meantime. So $10,000 is a nice chunk of change. I would say that you probably want to also have a rainy day cushion. I know you're interested in compound interest and kind of making... Maybe money in a more aggressive market or fund. But I think that uh, being that you have this $200,000 in student loans, that's a huge financial commitment. And you want to make sure that you can make this commitment every month. If you uh, have a bad month or you suddenly need to spend money on, let's say, an unexpected repair or a dental bill or a health care bill that, you know, your copay is, is very high, you're going to want to have reserve and so that you can, at the very minimum, make your debt obligations every month. Remember, if you miss out on paying a student loan payment, um, it can come back to really haunt you. We call student loans, quote unquote, good debt. But the reality is is that if you forego a payment or you become delinquent, it is the type of debt that can really screw up your life if you are not on top of it. They can garnish your wages. They can, I mean, on top of penalty fees and uh, raising your interest rate, so be very, very attentive to those student loan payments, and make sure that you have your financial basis covered, and, and especially savings, so that in the event that you know life throws you a curveball and you're going to have to maybe pay a little bit more for something else, that you can at the minimum pay for those loans and stay on top of them. And, and you know, two hundred thousand is is a is a big payment. I wouldn't imagine every single month. So continue investing in the Roth IRA set aside some of that $10,000 for a rainy day cushion, um, maybe half of it, you know, just to have $5,000 at your disposal in case something, you know, goes wrong one month and you want to maybe have to tap into that to cover that cost. And then you can keep everything else the same. You can maintain all your other um, obligations. Does that make sense, Todd?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, I actually opened a Roth IRA myself recently.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. I think it's a wonderful vehicle for especially young adults again, because there's that income phase out for qualifying for the Roth IRA. It is uh, really suitable for younger adults who are working and not perhaps making you know oodles of money, and they can still qualify. So take advantage of it. And of course, uh, yesterday on Ask Farnish we talked about the Roth conversion. So if anyone has a 401k from a previous employer um, and they're wondering what I want to do with it and maybe you make too much money and wouldn't normally qualify for a Roth IRA just straight out, you could do the conversion where you're literally putting that 401k money into Mm -hmm. a Roth IRA and, and taking advantage of some of those tax benefits. So good luck, Kyle. And The next question is also from a Kyle, and I wonder if you're the same Kyle. It's okay. You can ask more than one question.
1: Well, the next question is, Kyle, he says he's coming out of college. um, and He managed to run up a lot of unsecured debt. Um, He stopped paying them all, and and he's soon coming up on the the statute of limitations on his first couple of CCs. Credit cards. Or credit cards. Yeah. Okay. Do you have advice on how to manage this? Do I simply take the date on my credit card report as to when these will fall off? Should I get in contact with a financial planner, a lawyer?
0: Yeah. Okay. So let me just review this. He's got a lot of debt, unsecured debt uh, on credit cards and a personal bank loan. Okay. You stopped paying all of them. Wow. Um, so, you know, it depends on where you live, actually. if You you know, statute of limitations d- d- change from state to state in terms of, when you're no longer required to pay the debt, when it's in delinquency. Um, however, my advice in terms of getting you know the, the right help, I wouldn't go to a lawyer, I wouldn't go to a financial planner, I would go to a credit counselor. I would go to the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org. What they will be able to do is hook you up with a local credit counselor in your area, free meeting, and these are educated, licensed people who are highly, highly educated in the credit field and also in debt management and budgeting. So what they can do for you is analyze basically all of your, all of your uh, balances and determine, you know, what you have to pay, what you don't have to pay, um, and they can be your advocate. Don't go it alone. You came to, you, you were right to ask me this question. It's kind of a tricky situation. I don't know a whole lot about you know, the specifics of your situation, but I will say that there is help out there for you. Go to nfcc.org. Another alternative to NFCC, similar in kind of the nature of their business. If you don't want to go that route, you can go with money management international and that's moneymanagement.org. Both very good, very qualified and good luck. Let us know how it goes.
1: Definitely. Uh, So the next question is from Lauren. She says, Hey, Farnoosh, I have a lot of student loan debt, but own an affordable home and have minimal other debt. My my emergency fund is growing to over two months worth of income, and I save for various other needs, such as taxes, trips, etc. I have a 401k at work with no match that I contribute to, so what's my next money move?
0: All right, Lauren, good job. I think so far you're doing all the right things. It sounds like you are very attentive to all the various aspects of healthy financial life you know there's managing your debt there's getting your emergency fund together there's planning for your future like your retirement Um, you're living below your means with that affordable home so I would say a for Lauren but you want to know what should be your next money move so I would say two things one um, work harder on that emergency fund it's growing as you said to over two months worth of income and I would love for that to get to about six months that I think is kind of a, a safer area where, if in the event you lose your job or you want to transition from um, working to becoming self-employed or any other you know situation happens, you want to have at least six months to really be able to have breathing room to you know explore your options. I would say that would be the first thing. Make make sure that that savings account is uh, really really taken care of look into insurance you know um do you have disability insurance um you know this is another area of financial planning that a lot of times younger adults don't think about because well we're young and like we're not going to get disabled we're not going to have some kind of like major ailment or anything that will prevent us from working but you know despite common sense we there's actually a lot of uh cases where between the ages of you know 20 and, and 50 that you might have a situation. That will prevent you from being able to work at least for a few months, um, and it doesn 't have to be a physical disability, it could be you know um, uh, depression or anything. I hope none of this stuff happens to you, but you know i 'm a financial strategist, and I always try to look at kind of covering your bases and planning for the worst, hoping for the best, planning for the worst. What disability insurance allows you to do is continue to not work in case you can't work for some re- medical reason or, or physical disability reason. Um, and continue to make money. You know, it basically replaces your income up to usually about 70%, 66%, um, 70%, and which is really great. And what else would I say? I would say um, try to focus on ways to make more money. You know, I, I think that what's missing a lot of times from the financial conversation, you know, we talk a lot about debt. We talk a lot about saving. We talk a lot about investing. I want to talk more about earning because I think that's something that is sort of an afterthought. You know, we kind of accept our salaries and we try to make do with them. And if you're looking for to kind of get ahead further, um, maybe make more of your life, sometimes it's about earning more, right? So think about ways that maybe you can earn more, whether it's you know upward mobility within your career your industry finding new opportunities in your industry or outside your industry like looking for freelance jobs that you can do easily on the weekends or at night try to bring in that extra money quickly so that you can quicker su- supplement the uh, the, re- the retirement accounts your savings accounts and also have more money to enjoy but lauren you're doing a really good job i mean pretty impressive right todd
1: yeah definitely i mean that's pretty crazy that uh, she already has a lot of. I mean, the fact that she has an affordable home and minimal other debt—that's already ahead of most people.
0: Yeah, and the then you got, you know, your two months worth of savings mm-hmm. is—you're uh, you're on you're on the right track, Lauren. Thanks for your question and thanks for the uh, for the motivation. You know, you're probably really inspiring a lot of other listeners.
1: Cool. So the next question comes from Andrea, and she asks, "Can you recommend some books or resources for learning about the different types of investments?" She knows many of the terms, but not really what they are. So in terms of books, one of my favorite books, uh, particularly if if you're a beginner um, in investing or you just want to know a little bit more in-depth information about uh, stock market investing, uh, there's a book called The Neatest Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing, and it's by Jason Kelly. Um, You can find it on Amazon, and it's definitely my favorite book on investing that I've ever read. I think if you want to get a more advanced um, perspective on on investing in general, I think The the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham is also really good. A little bit harder to read than um, the, the first book, The Neatest Little Guide, but I think that uh, both are really good to introduce you to all the concepts you'll need to know.
0: Yeah, and actually The Intelligent Investor was co-authored by Jason Zweig, who I, I used to work with Jason at Money Magazine, and now I believe he's at the Wall Street Journal- probably the best uh, investing columnist uh, in modern history. I know that's a big claim, but I think Jason is really awesome and hardworking and knows his stuff. So I also am a fan of the intelligent investor. Um, Yeah, I left that question to you, Todd, because I, you know, truthfully, investing is not my – Um, strongest area in terms of advice giving I think because it's such a complex thing and I'm really boring when it comes to investing advice I'm just like find the index funds go with the ETFs like don't try to beat the market Um, I actually just had a meeting with my financial advisor and I wanted to know precisely how much we were paying in uh, management fees for all of our funds and uh, the good news is that we were we were I think doing pretty well in that area. We were Our expense ratios were pretty low, but I was like, how can we do better? And I think that's something you know that everybody should do. If you're working with a financial advisor or you're investing in your company's 401k, call the plan manager and say, I want to save money on management fees. And if there's any way that we can replace some of our investments with index funds that have kind of a similar mix of of, of investments or kind of has a similar approach, then we want to do that. Because really, like the one thing I learned from reading Tony Robbins' book is that while a 1% fee or a 2% management fee on a mutual fund doesn't sound like a lot, you remember this is what you're paying year in and year out. And uh, over 30, 40 years of investing, you know, it could be a six figure fee fee that you're paying that is not money you're receiving anymore so it's a lot you just want to make sure that you're you know you have a very efficient portfolio when it comes to fees um, but I digress what else you got
1: um, okay so the next question is from Tom he said first of all he really likes the podcast uh, thanks Tom he, he says uh, how did your parents shape your view of money would they consider <laughs> uh, coming on to an episode even if it is the weekend show where you let the hair down and kick off the shoes <laughs> He'd love to hear their thoughts, and uh, he says, "Keep up the great work."
0: I don't know, Ty. What do you think of having mom and dad on the podcast? Would that be a, a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Uh, I'd like to see it happen. <laughs> I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think it'd be—I think it'd be interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, he also asked, "How did our parents shape our view of money?" For me, um, they were very influential. And I think if you listen to the podcast, it's, you know, I dropped some, you know, anecdotes of growing up uh, within the Tarabi household. And I think, you know, Todd and I, by the way, guys, we're like 11 years apart. So we grew up in different generations. And I would also say we grew up with different parents, you know, just in terms of where they were economically. For, for me, like, I grew up in the 80s in, in Massachusetts, in the, in Worcester, Worcester area, which, you know, is not a, an affluent part of the country, to say the least. And, and it was full of, like, immigrants, hardworking immigrants, full of diversity, economic diversity, cultural diversity. And my parents, there. I think, the legacy that I think they've left for me is kind of the importance of education uh, as opposed to, like, street smarts. I think my parents are really about, like, getting educated and building your skill set and working hard and, and that will pay off. And I, I appreciated that ex, that lesson that they taught me. I think that I wish I had learned a little bit more about being entrepreneurial, you know, because, because I came from such an academic background, like growing up and my dad has a PhD in physics. I think for us going to school, it was never about where you were going to go to college. It was like, what's going to be your master's degree in, which I thought was kind of unfair because <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't really have any passions like that yet what am I going to do and it was like well you'll figure it out you know um I don't know if I would necessarily emphasize like the importance of getting a graduate degree these days because college is so expensive you know I think my parents were from from a time where college was relatively affordable and so was grad school and so had college back then been like a hundred thousand dollars for my parents I'm not sure they would have had the same um appreciation for education but anyway that said I think I, for my parents, I think I inherited their hard work. I inherited their uh, negotiating skills. Remember, I'm Middle Eastern. I mean, it's in our DNA. And I think I inherited a sense of, you know, taking pride in your work.
1: Uh, I would say that uh, they definitely taught me how to be more humble with how I spend money and how I – some of the problems that people have with spending a lot of money or being in a lot of debt is sometimes they feel like a lot of social pressure to – Have everything and show show things off and be competitive with their with what with what their friends have, Um, but I never. uh, I I think part of growing up, I didn't have that same pressure, and my parents taught me how not to feel like you need to keep up with the
0: Joneses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Prove
1: yourself through what you buy or what you own. So I think for me, I'm not. I don't consider myself a a big spender, other than buying tickets to the Super Bowl. But (laughs) but other than that, I mean. I I feel like I, I live pretty sim- simple, and uh, I think that's a reflection of what they taught me. Cool. Yeah,
0: and I think maybe we should invite them to the podcast one of these weekends. I think they'd really enjoy it, and I know they're big fans of the show. So uh, thanks for your question, Tom. What's next?
1: So Elizabeth says, hey, Farnoosh, I love your podcast. It's inspired me so much. Are there any podcasts or books that have inspired you?
0: Wow. Well, yes, I will, starting with podcasts, I think, you know, Entrepreneur on Fire, John Lee Dumas' show, which is a killer, killer podcast. It's like off the charts. Um, I like, uh, I was just on Michael O'Neill's podcast called Solopreneur, which is fantastic. Michael is, you know, takes podcasting very seriously and he asks poignant questions and I had a blast on his show. So definitely check out that episode because I get really personal on that show more than I've probably gotten personal on any show. And uh, of course, although I haven't listened to Serial, I really, um, I love that Serial kind of brought a mainstream audience to podcasting, whereas before it was extremely niche. You know, people came to podcasts just to learn about X. And now I think we have people who never would have ever listened to podcasts are curious and are exploring other podcasts because of Serial. So while I don't say, I can't say I'm like, a consumer of cereal, although I should probably (laughs) get on top of that. I I appreciate cereal for what it has done for kind of the the overall movement. And in terms of books, I'll tell you what I'm reading right now because I'm kind of looking at taking my business to like a a new level. I want to go direct to consumer, direct to you guys with some cool products and services down the road. So I'm learning all about how to launch online because this is something that is so foreign to me. And I almost want to be kicking myself because I feel like I should have been more cognizant of this like five years ago. But I'm reading a book called Launch right now, which is uh, all about how to basically take a product to launch online. It's really helpful, very step-by-step, and it can apply to almost anything you're trying to launch. And then I'm also reading Feed a Starving Crowd by Robert Khoury, who was on the podcast actually uh, not too long ago, and I'll be airing that episode shortly. And then there's a book called Ask by Ryan Levesque that's sitting on my side table and hopefully I'll get to that soon. So I'm reading a lot of like entrepreneur books about how to launch businesses because that's kind of what I'm interested in doing right now. Okay, thanks, Elizabeth. All right, so I think that is a wrap. Thank you, Kyle, Lauren, Andrea, Tom, Elizabeth, and of course my... Uh, partner in crime here, Todd. We're actually in the same room today, so you might have noticed like kind of an audio difference. I don't know. Send me your questions, everyone. I love hearing from you. Check out com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your comment or your question. And I would also love if you would leave a review on iTunes. If you really enjoyed what you're listening and um, you have some thoughts you want to share Listen. This is the biggest way to keep this podcast going. Um, it's a free podcast. I bring on amazing guests who share a lot of their premium time with us. And so, if you're if you're loving what you're hearing and you want more and you want better guests and you want us not to get swept under the rug on iTunes, then the biggest factor, the biggest variable in ensuring that is just leaving a quick review on iTunes. And you can do that through your phone. You can go on iTunes. I'm actually thinking of making a little quick video to teach people how to do it because, honestly, people have tried. And it's not 100% straightforward, I will be the first to admit. So if you're having trouble, let me know, and I'll try to walk you through it. But, uh, yeah, this would be the biggest, biggest hope. And just let me know when you do write a review because I want to – like want to reply with a thank you and, and maybe give you something uh, special, uh, a little tease there, maybe a little gift. I don't know. Uh, no bribes, but just you know, a thank you from from Farnoosh. Thanks, everyone. And uh, again, it's my birthday, so uh,
1: happy birthday! Thank
0: you. <laughs> I'm 35 officially. Anyone else here who's 35 or older, write into me and let me know like what I have to look forward to. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.